Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello, how are we doing? Hope you're having a great morning, afternoon, midnight, whenever the hell you're listening to this. Now on today's show I've got Ben Burville, and by day he's a GP, and also by day he is an incredible scuba diver and camera op, particularly with grey seals. I'm making him sound like Batman, although he's not far off. Now Ben's work has extended so much with grey seals that he's probably got the biggest library of footage of anyone in Britain and his encounters have gone viral online. You've probably seen videos of seals hugging Ben while he's scuba diving off the Farne Islands. He's a good mate of mine. We've dived together. He's an awesome guy. I can't wait to chat to him. However, before we start, I should just say that I was going to end on 100 podcasts and I've actually worked out that I've got 101, which kind of displeases me slightly, but we'll keep going with it. This is because uh, I'll let you into a bit of a behind the curtain of podcasting. I generally ask more people than I expect to say yes. So if I ask 10 people, I might only expect four to say yes. But I asked lots of people and lots of people said yes. So I'm ending on 101. I could save that last podcast and release it later, but I think it makes sense. So I've got uh, what we are now. I think this is 98. This is the 98th podcast. So there's three more to come. We've got some great guests coming up and uh, 101. So yeah, not ending on 100. I did record the 100th podcast before. So I actually say goodbye in the 100th one, which I could change, but I can't be asked. Uh, but actually, there's going to be 101. So just to kind of clarify that. Now, as always, there's the link in the description to buymeacoffee.com. And you can help the podcast by donating one, no, not one pound, three pounds. I don't want one pound. Well, you can give me a pound if you want. I'd rather you give me three pounds. If you could also leave a review, I notice on Amazon, there are no reviews for the, oh, I smacked my mic then, sorry. There are no reviews on Amazon. So if you could leave a review on Amazon, that would be amazing. I mean, it doesn't sell on Amazon, but they, they because of Audible, there are uh, a possibility to review it. So if, you, if someone could review it on, on Amazon, that would be smashing. In today's show, myself and Ben talk about what he's discovered being in the water with these grey seals. Do these grey seals recognise him? and also some of the other species off the Northumberland coastline, such as the significant population of white-beat dolphins. Here's our chat. So welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you very much, Jack. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming in. How are you doing? B- busy, I expect. Yeah, general practice is a little bit crazy at the moment, but the uh, diving sort of keeps me sane when I can get in the water. It must be quite uh, nice and serene for you, I guess, because obviously being a, a, a doctor at the minute is going to be pretty full on so getting under the water and just switching off must be lovely yeah it is to be honest it's a, I mean I, I as you know I go underwater for a number of reasons you know for the science side you know for the challenge underwater the you know the physical challenge of diving in currents and things for the filming you know to be able to do the filming but the main reason why I go underwater I think certainly at the moment is is because of that mental health aspect you know being with wildlife being with nature I just think it's you know it is what helps keep me sort of sane at the moment yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Where did the diving start for you? Oh, gosh, when I was small, you know, um, my parents were really good. I, I grew up in Plymouth originally as a, as a kid. I was born in Plymouth and, uh, you know, we would holiday all the time after we moved away from that area. So I was in the water a lot. 
And then um, I think well, as soon as you could dive in those days with the British Subaqua Club, you couldn't train until you were, you couldn't qualify till you were 16. So I think as soon as it hit my 16th birthday, I was, you know, I was down to the dive club and my father and my mother, you know, I owe them a lot really because they facilitated that. In those days, you spent about six months in the pool before they'd let you in the sea, you know, and you had to, um, it was quite vigorous training. And I had a, uh, one of the first female diving instructors, uh, Ingrid Dilk, she was called. So if you're listening, Ingrid, thank you very much. Um, and, uh, you know, so she she really pushed me hard. You know, if everyone had to swim two lengths with a weight belt, she made me swim four. But in the long <laughs> took run, a shine that, that to you. A, yeah, that was, a, that was a bonus, really. And what took you to the... So if you were based in Plymouth originally, what took you to the Farns? Well, I, I was based in Plymouth with my family when I was yeah. born, you know, and then my yeah, yeah, parents yeah. moved along with work and then um you know the i think really what moved us up to this area was two things one is they've got a very very good scheme for training gps and two they have uh, you got the fun islands you know so yeah. there was definitely a significant draw there from purely from the diving really as well so were you always interested in seals because i guess that's where most people whether they've seen you on country file or they see the stuff that you're, you're doing on youtube and these little clips on twitter and whatnot was it always seals for you or was it sort of like a Oh, seals are quite interesting. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, uh, the you know, ever since I was a kid, I, I like marine mammals. You know, I think there's something quite interesting about them. They're, they're intelligent. Um, you know, they 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 breathe air just the same as you and I do, and yet they function in a, an aquatic environment. And and they, you know, I think there was something quite charming about marine mammals in a way that people find quite endearing. And you know, it's always had an interest in that, and always had an interest in 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 marine life and and marine biology and I was very lucky actually because before I did medicine I actually did a degree in um, sort of marine biology at Southampton. Oh I didn't know that okay. Yeah so so and I actually worked with dolphins for a while during that so yeah marine mammals across the board but seals sort of were were something that that I migrated towards and then for the last what 20 odd years have sort of observed and filmed and studied their behavior underwater. Well, I guess they're quite dog-like as well, aren't they? And I don't know if you're a dog person, but naturally you tend to gravitate to things like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's funny because I think they can, they have some similarities to dogs and, and I can see why people look and think, oh, it's just like a Labrador. You know, if you look genetically at them, um, you know, their, and their ancestry, they're a lot more related to bears actually than, than dogs. Are they? And, and you see that up close when you see their fins, uh, their, their fins, their, their front flippers. And you and you see their the claws on them and the the way they articulate and their mouths as well. Um, so there's quite a link to to do with bears. And I think you know if you look at the weight of a of a the average weight of a male Labrador dog is about 34 kilograms, and the average weight of a male seal is about 220. So these are <laughs> you know different scale of animal really. So they they definitely warrant a huge amount of respect, you know. And I think that that's that's one of the key things is not to disturb them and, and to treat them with the utmost respect because they're quite formidable predators if they want to be yeah they're not they're not really a, a, a danger to people though are they? they're more kind of curious i guess no I, I think they're not a danger to anyone if you treat them with respect yeah okay um, and you don't do anything stupid so i one i don't think you should ever approach them on the land no you know, if anyone no, no. goes near them on the land then they're going to get disturbed they may get flushed and 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 there have been some incidents where seals have have bitten people on the land when they've got too close um they also have some really um very unpleasant bacteria in their mouths 
So they have mycoplasma, they have a specific type of streptococcus in their mouth that can, that's been isolated in their mouths. It's only found in gray seals. Well, it was initially isolated in gray seals. It's since been found in other animals. Um, but they, if you get a bite from a seal, they tend to get pretty nasty infections. You know, in the old days, you used to call it seal finger and it needed to be amputated. Right. But the, um, the antibiotic that we would use with a dog bite would be coamoxiclav. And cat bites are more in, more likely to get infected than a dog bite, but you can still treat them with coamoxiclav. Human bites are even more likely to get infected than dog or cat bites, but you can still treat them with coamoxiclav. But you get bitten by a seal, give someone coamoxiclav, and they can still have an infection. So probably because of the mycoplasma. But yeah, they have really nasty bites. So on the land, you definitely need to stay well away in the water. In the water you know the thing is to let the seal come to you if you if you go towards a seal in the water and it collars and you get and it, and it felt cornered and yeah they could be a danger to you they they certainly can rush you and they could and they can bite you you know if if one felt cornered or you were near one when the the cow seal was um pregnant again that that can often trigger reactions where you need to be very careful um because they wouldn't they're incredibly gentle animals but at the same time, they're wild animals, and and if they felt cornered or threatened, then they certainly have the um, they certainly have the assets to, to to hurt you. If one bit you, it could bite straight through your hand. And yeah. and interestingly, yeah. Jack, they they have actually been recorded in the last number of years predating on porpoise. And a lot of people think, oh, pure, pure, you know, cute little seals, but you know they can ambush another mammal and and and, and eat it and tear it to pieces. Actually. Because porpoise, I mean, they're not as big as people think, but that's still quite a big prey item, isn't it, for a seal? Yeah, to go it's still for. a thirty, you know, thirty-five kilogram plus animal, um, you know, and it and it uh, and it's also faster than a seal. A porpoise, on 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 average, can swim faster than a seal, but it's mainly your bull seals, and they've been tar- they seem to target them when the porpoise comes to the surface to breathe, and then they ambush them from below. Um, grab them with their front flippers, stick their claws in, bite them, uh, pull them underwater and drown them. Wow. Because the seals can hold their breath longer than the porpoise. Has that been witnessed? Yes, it has. Yeah, it's been recorded. It's actually been seen off our coast as well. It's been recorded off Pembrokeshire. So if you just simply Google um, seal um, seal predation porpoise, that would probably bring it up. Um, and, and the two researchers that were involved with it, um, Jan Holters and... Uh, Mardik Leopold, um, they 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 were the first people who actually pr- pr- proved that. They did some quite interesting DNA studies where they managed to extract DNA from the bite wounds on the porpoise to see that they were from grey seals, and they proved that. Um, and they weren't post-mortem bites; they were fresh bites. But since then, it's actually been witnessed with them attacking a porpoise on the surface and dra- and pulling it under. Wasn't there a mystery? I don't know if you know anything more about this about. Um seals being washed up dead and they found out it was cannibalism is that right yes what you're referring to there is um is the infamous corkscrew injuries yeah that's um, right that was seen on seals where a culture where basically their their flesh and and fur layer had unraveled like a corkscrew like someone had sort of gone around an apple uh, with an apple peeler and, and rolled it round. And initially that was, in actual fact, the Sea Mammal Research Unit at St Andrews were commissioned to look into that. And, and their conclusion initially was it was probably ducted propellers on, uh, on ships associated with wind farms and the seals were getting caught in the ducted propellers and it was ripping their, their skin and their fur off. 
Um, and that was sort of accepted for a while. I was always a bit dubious because if you ever see a seal in a very, very strong current, uh, a very strong current, they have no problems in getting through, navigating through that they water. They can handle They're themselves. They're incredibly well aligned. So, so the thought that they could be caught in a ducted propeller, it always seemed a little bit of a hard one for me to get my head around that because of them being so adept underwater. And then it was up at the Isle of May um, some years ago now where um, I think it was, I'm just trying to think who it was, I think it was um, some of the team from Durham University were there um, and they they saw a large male uh, bull seal um, take drown a number of pups um, and then eat them. And in the process of eating them, um, actually rip them in a way that their that their skin came off in this in this in this um, corkscrew pattern, and I think it has something to do with the underlying tissue on a, on the on the body of a, a seal being sort of like a fibrous network um, that goes around spirals around the body so when it gets torn and the flesh is torn it will spiral off the carcass in a in a sort of spiral way looking like it's gone through some sort of twisting thing but it actually fact it's, i think it's just due to the underlying fibrous sort of epidermis below the dermis level right, where it rips okay. off yeah so, so that wasn't it wasn't ducted propellers it was cannibalism yeah, which is crazy, isn't it? Because I, I know one of the other theories, was it Greenland shark or some kind of weird shark? And like... Yeah, there was some sort about Greenland shark attacks. There has been a Greenland shark washed up off the coast of Northumberland. Okay. Um, I think it's in the uh, it's in the in the Natural History Museum in London, at the, you know, still now. That was found on one of the beaches in Northumberland. Uh, and Greenland sharks, you know, very, very long, very, they live to incredibly you know, very old, I think they're yeah. recorded over 300 years old. Um, you know, they, they they can ambush seals as well. Oh, so they do. So that's not like a fantasy thing. They could potentially get take the odd one or something. No, they do. They, yeah, you know, they of certain parts of the, the world, like Newfoundland, then, then uh, you know, those Greenland sharks will ambush seals and kill them. Wow, it's mental. Because I guess the Northumberland coast, you're not really getting sharks regularly. Not, not like, say, Cornwall or... Uh, whales and places like that well i think the thing is no one no one really really knows we've certainly uh i haven't but i was on a dive where there was a large uh, shark um near one of the uh parts of the farn islands um, oh, really? there were a couple of photographers who said who i think they're from holland and the lady came up and she said oh, i can't believe i saw a shark and i think everyone was like yes i'm sure and um, you've probably <laughs> just seen a seal in the distance and then one of the, it was a regular dive club. It was the, um, it was the deep blue pirates from Whitley Bay were up who dive regularly. And one of the ladies there said, came up and said, yeah, that was a big shark. And I, and I think I, I think I got it on camera and we had to look at her GoPro and you couldn't quite make out what it was, but it was a large shark. You could see this, there was a seal in the picture, um, obviously quite aware that the shark was there because it was, it was looking at the shark. Uh, the shark was at least probably six foot long minimum. Oh wow! And um, and and was I? We think it, we, the shark trust was sent the footage and things. And I think I think it was confirmed that it was either a poor beagle or a short fin mako. Wow! Um, but yeah, quite a big a big shark. So I, I mean, I'm sure there are sharks around there, but we don't tend to see uh, you know them very very often. We don't tend to see some signs of you know shark predation around the islands. But it's not. It's not unbelievable to think it happens every now and again. 
No, and I guess if there's that concentration of seals, if there are any that do, I don't, I, mean, I don't think poor beagles. I think they're mainly fish eaters off the top of my head. Fish eaters, I guess, yeah, you know, mainly fish eaters. But you know. never know. And any tuna yet? I know tuna are turning up everywhere. Are they showing it around there at no, all? No, no, not heard of any tuna. I know they've come on, you know, bluefin are coming on, you know, in numbers off Cornwall yeah. and they've been yeah, filmed yeah. and things, but not, not yet. You know, hopefully, I think that may be associated with a bit of global warming. So let's hope it doesn't extend that far north. No, I guess, yeah. I mean, I think there was a population historically in, in off Yorkshire, Scarborough, there was a big tunny that, fishery. So yeah, um, that's right. And Back of course, in the thirties and forties, there was a lot of tuna fishing. If you look, if you Google, bit you know the old pictures of tuna yeah. fishing North Sea, you see these pictures of these old boys with, you know, with 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 these huge, enormous tuna, eight yeah. foot long, you know, yeah, massive, yeah, yeah. huge, big thing. But that got overfished. That was the problem. That's right. I, w- I was chatting to a guy the other week about um, tuna, and he went tuna fishing last week, and he said they hooked eight. Well, they could only get two in, and they were two hundred and fifty pounds, and they yeah. were small ones. And I was like, "Bloody, yeah, small I, don't, I don't think." I mean, they tagged them, so it's not. I mean, it's regulated now, so you can't just go fishing and you have to put them back. But they take measurements and put a tag in them. But I was just like, "I don't. I'm not sure that appeals to me." To be honest, getting some no, of that, I I'd love to see one. Just to see a tuna would be amazing. Do, do you think the seals recognise you? Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, so people often say, oh, you must know, the seals must know you and you must know them and they must, you know, they must reckon. It's very rare, Jack, that I dive with the same seal. Mm. You know, it does happen every now and again, but there's five thousand. There's, there's at least 5,000 seals use the Farne Islands. Um, and, and, and people say, well, how, if they don't recognise you, how come you get in and they always come up to you? I think what it is, is over, over the last 20 years, what they've done is they've taught me how to dive in a way that they find not intrusive and not threatening so that that tech those techniques i can use with any seals that i haven't met before and they'll still respond in the same way so it isn't i've dived off the off quite remote parts of cornwall i've dived off quite remote parts of scotland and exactly the same behavior using the same techniques they still come up and touch me and you know push their noses against my hand and stuff so what the seals have, what I've been very lucky to do is be taught by the seals how to dive in a way that they've, they're, they're fine with. And that also gives me this quite unique access to, to observe behavior and film behavior because they, 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 they're, not, they're not worried. They're not thinking, oh gosh, you know, we need to keep away or we, we can't do this here. Um, so, so yeah, that's a very occasionally on, if I've dived the same day, I've seen the same seal and they they take off where we sort of left off. So if we've had an hour, if we've been diving together for an hour or so, I then get out the water. When I go back in, that it doesn't take a it, I don't have the initial um sort of preliminary period with them. They just take off where they where they left off, really. I remember going out to the farms for you. Uh, oh God, it was a long time ago now because uh, Rob Cuss was there as well. And we um we were heading to some little inlet. And you just started calling like a seal. Yeah. And they all came. And I was like, what are you doing? But they all came and were really interested. But it wasn't like, it wasn't just, you know, they weren't clambering off rocks or anything. They were just in the water and they thought, oh, let's go and see Ben. But I just thought he's talking to these bloody seals. But it worked. They came up. It was incredible. Yeah, they they like vocalisations. And over the years, I've learned a few things that are vocalisations that they like. They're very inquisitive animals and they use a a vast repertoire of of underwater vocalisations. And although my my seal speak is pretty poor, I figured a few <laughs> a, a few things that they do like. So there are a few noises underwater, 
um, that I use quite regularly, really, and and they like that. They they, they really they, they use a lot of vocalizations. What like low grumbles through the reg or something or? Yeah, I mean, one noise. You're going to make me do it now, aren't you? But one. one <laughs> well, I was that, subtly edging that way. Yeah. So one one noise that they do like is they like this. Uh, <laughs> they like that noise, and oh. and that's a noise. That's a very poor copy of a noise that some of them bulls make. Um, underwater and I, and just by experimenting i've sort of learned that that <laughs> that noise um seems to attract them to come closer don't ask me why i haven't got a clue what it translates into in seal <laughs> but i've learned that that one i've learned that if there there's you know the you know from the outback if you say cooey that cooey is a cooey is a is a um a sound that tran that travels a long way in on above above water. Okay, and and I've tried using that underwater with some quite interesting results as well. So sometimes if they're if they're a bit further away, and I shout cooey in my regulator, that will attract them over, not wow. right up to me, but they'll they'll be interested. Now if I was to shout something else instead, I may get the same response, but cooey. I know it travels a long way above land, which is why it was sort of designed, and 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 it seems to get a reasonable response underwater. But when they get close, then that <coughs> noise, yeah, um, always seems to be interesting. That's what seems to work. I've had friends who've gone in with cetaceans, and they've said like singing. They come in to investigate. Um, who was it? Bertie Gregory was telling me about belugas, and he was singing Adele. Uh, I can't remember which Adele song it was, but the belugas because they're holding the note. And they were really interested and they came right up to... Uh... I think, that, you know, especially you're in an animal that uses acoustic signalling and vocalisations for, for, for communication. So I think, they, you know, they're, they're pretty... They're hearing underwater. A seal's hearing above, above the water is about the same as you and I. We, you know, can hear up to about 20 kilohertz. But underwater, seals can hear to a higher frequency. They can probably hear up to about 70 kilohertz. Wow. Um, it, it's, a, it's a bit complicated why it's to do with the 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 weight of the ear ossicle bones being heavier and being able to move more with vibrations underwater but they you know so they you know they they use they live in an environment where sound is really important yeah 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 is there a gray seal fact that i mean obviously you've you've rattled off so many already but is there one fact about them that particularly amazes you oh wow gosh um i think that I, I'm always amazed by the sensitivity of their whiskers, of their vibrissi. Okay. Um, and and I think we still probably have a lot to learn about that in terms of their ability. So so there was some research that was done at Rostock University in Germany um, by a guy called uh, Hanke, uh, and um, and that basically was indicating that they could pick up seals could pick up using just their whiskers, um, they could pick up the, what's called the hydrodynamic trail off the back of fish. So basically like a boat would leave a wake, um, as the fish swims, it, it, as its tail goes through the water, it moves the water particles and leaves this trail, which is a little bit like a wake behind the boat. Now the seal's whiskers can pick up on that hydrodynamic trail over a hundred meters away. Wow. Now and it can do that while it's moving through the water. So while it's moving through the water, the, the as it's moving through the water, usually the whiskers would be abducted and out at sort of ninety degrees to the face, 
uh, and the, because it's moving through a medium that's relatively thick, dense, the, the whiskers will vibrate. In, it, that's another very interesting thing because the whiskers are so designed to reduce vortices behind the whiskers. So places like MIT in, in, in America have, have looked at that to look at any, any, um, any applications of that design to reduce flow and vortices around structures in water. So a seal's whiskers are not like a straight drinking tube, they're undulated. And that undulation, when it, as they move through the water, reduces vortices behind the whisker. Um, so they can pick up the hydrodynamic trail off a fish 100 meters away. So if you can, while they're going through the water, so imagine the sensitivity, they've got thousands of neurons to innovate those whiskers. So you can imagine if something is so sensitive that it can pick up the minute vibrations of fish's wake 100 meters away, that's incredible sensitivity. But they then can come up and touch me with those same whiskers on my face. So yeah. I can only conclude by that, that they must be able to turn off the sensitivity or turn off the, yeah, switch them off or switch them on or reduce the sensitivity. Because if they were functioning at that very high level of sensitivity, enough to pick up minute movements in water, and they then came along and pushed them against my face, you'd think that would give them like an overload of information. Be too much, uh, yeah. So I think they have the ability to turn them off, turn up the gain. And I also think having seen them, they do this funny thing where they come along with their whiskers sometimes and they come in front of me and then they, they vibrate them. And, and I wonder whether they have uh, not only a passive ability to, to, re, to, to sort of sense vibrations, uh, uh, movement in the water, but I wonder if they have an active ability where they can use the vibrate, where they can vibrate them and get some sort of feedback. But no one knows that really. And I guess that would explain how they can feed in places, say, like the wash in Lincolnshire, where the water's yeah. just like chocolate. They're not yeah. using their eyes, are they? No, definitely not. So that, you know. maybe in the last few seconds. Yeah. You know, but they have some quite incredible senses. They can, um, you know, they've got their they've got their whiskers that can pick up these ridiculous vibrations. They can they have a they have the ability to smell a chemical in the water. Um, which is associated with areas of high productivity. So when phytoplankton get eaten by zooplankton, they produce a chemical called dimethyl sulfide. And that dimethyl sulfide goes into the water. And at the air-water interface, so at the top of the where the sea is, it meeting the air, there'll be a, a, a level of dimethyl sulfide. And the more grazing by zooplankton on the phytoplankton, the higher the level of dimethyl sulfide at the air-water interface. Wow. Now the yeah. seals can smell dimethyl sulfide in incredibly low concentrations. So they could sort of sit on the rock and go, smells good over that direction. Let's head there. Crazy. Um, yeah. And they can also taste incredibly small differences in salinity um, around the, around the concentration of seawater either side, very, very minute differences that may be associated again with areas of high productivity. So if you've got upwelling, uh, and colder water coming up, and you and you may have tiny differences in salinity that they will then associate it with higher areas of productivity. So they can sort of taste the water with their tongue and go, yep, that saltiness looks good. They can smell when they get to the surface and go, it smells good over there, there's diamethyl sulfide. And then as they get closer, they can switch to, switch to whiskers and actually start to pick up things to hunt. So I've seen totally blind seals have pups. Wow. That's mental, isn't it? That's absolutely incredible with them. And 
I'm forgetting, you'll, you'll probably know the percentage better than me, but isn't it something like the UK has got, is it 70% of the world's grey seals? Or yeah, we've just, got high... Just over, four, just over 40% of the world. 40, okay, I was a bit high there, but we've got a good percentage about of the world. About maybe 360,000 in the, in the world, I think something like that, about 140,000, 120, 140,000 around the UK, something like that. So it's a good a good amount, but I wondered what kind of threats do grey seals face, and in, in particular threats in the UK, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's worth keeping in mind at the end of the day, Jack, that there's there's more African elephants in the world than there are grey seals. Really? You know, so, wow. Yeah, there's more African elephants than grey seals, so we really need to, you know, protect what we have as a as a you know as a as a as a as a heritage, really, as a treasure around our coast. Obviously, a lot of it's off Scotland. But certain sites around our coast, you know, really are a, a, a wildlife treasure, really, for these animals that are, you know, that we're very lucky to have. In terms of threats, you know, you've got a, a variety of threats. You've got their natural threats, you know, maybe like the odd orca that will take a seal, perhaps the odd shark offshore. Um, and then far more worrying to them are the threats of, of pollution, yeah. whether, that's, um, whether that's, you know, discarded or lost fishing equipment, you know, whether that's uh, chemicals in the marine environment, you know, PBCs, things like that. So um, PCBs uh, and, you know, any chemicals that, you know, organic um, pollutants that can go into the into the food chain that can go through there, the things that they're eating and accumulating, whether they're heavy metals or, 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 or organic solvents that are you know, dangerous to them. So you've got chemical pollutants, you've got You've got the physical um, pollution of of, um, of ropes and fishing kit, and you've got all acoustic pollution as well. You know, from things like pile driving for, you know, for offshore turbines can damage them. Um, you know, and some other marine pollutions, just noise can can affect them as well. Yeah, they've got a lot. Uh, well, like like many of our yeah, and then of course, at some places, you've got people shooting seals. You know, around places like seal farms, instead of using proven deterrents like double netting, uh, tension netting, you know, you've got people using, you know, guns to shoot them. Um, yeah, on the know, salmon farms and things. Yeah, on salmon farms yeah. and things. And even yeah. I've even heard rumours of like drowning traps and things being deployed around oh, some God. of those areas. Yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me, to be honest with you. Um, have you had any interactions with common seals? Because obviously grey seals, are, are, ironically, grey seals are more common, I suppose. But do, do you ever, ever see those on the farms? Yeah, I've never seen them at the farms. I think that they, you know, they're quite dominant in terms of their behaviour, the grey seals. Um, I have dived with them, uh, common seals, harbour seals up off Scotland. Um, they're not as vocal underwater, in actual fact. Um, uh, but they were also inquisitive. And, and interestingly, they behaved in a, in, a, in a not dissimilar manner in terms of their response to my body language. So I'll use... I'll use certain manoeuvres underwater that I know will interest seals. So I may use my hand like this underwater yeah. to generate. Yeah. I think what's happening there is I'm generating a wake and they're picking up with it with their whiskers and then they'll come in on my hand and I'll switch from this to this and they'll then put their noses up against my nose, up against my hand. Um, and, and common seals will do the same, although I don't dive with them that often. When I have dived with them up in Scotland, they behave very, very similar, uh, slightly more shy, yeah, um, and not as definitely not as um, vocal underwater from what I could hear. Because you barely see any pictures or video. Like grey seals are pretty obliging, really, aren't they? But 
common seals, you barely see any images of them underwater or video for whatever reason. But it's interesting you say that they are curious and maybe because people aren't trying or I don't know, there just doesn't seem to be. I think if you look at the sites where people dive, where you do get that that sort of cross overlap between people water using and common seals, there aren't that many places that I know where you get that overlap, you know. But if you look off the coast of Wales, there's dive sites with seals off, off the Northumberland coast. You've got dive sites with seals off Scotland. You've got a number of dive sites with seals. When you look at common, I mean, I know I have filmed common seals, um, you know, down in the sort of Tees area, Middlesbrough area. They've got a colony down there, but there is no water sports really down that way. Um, and off Scotland, where I dive with common seals, it was just literally a, an island that, you know, wouldn't regularly be dived. It was just a, a rocky outcrop. And I just asked the skipper to drop me in for a bit there. Um, you know, so I just don't, I think it's probably because there just isn't very much overlapping use of, of, of the environment, really. No, that makes that makes sense. And talking of other pinnipeds, there was a walrus recently, wasn't there as well in, in sea yeah, houses? Yeah, I mean, it, it, part of me's part of me thinking, God, I wish I'd gone up because I was there on the Saturday and on the Sunday it, it turned up. I was looking after my oldest daughter and I said, like, do you want to have a drive up and see it? And she was like, no, daddy, I think I just want to do, do this and then we'll go for a run. So um, we didn't drive. But I think the other thing that was, that was sort of in the back of my head is that because people had found out where it was, I think there was an awful lot of people going. Yeah. And I, and I sort of didn't want to be one of the sort of people causing any, any way in disturbing it. So that was also sort of in my head. Um, but yeah, fantastic thing to see. You know, amazing, really. I think I would love to have seen that in the water. That would have been I bet, yeah, that would have woken you up a bit. <laughs> yeah, they can eat seals, actually, so... Yeah, yeah. Doug Allen was telling me about this. Yeah, they suck, yeah, they they suck the brain out or something. Yeah, they do, yeah. It's a, it, they have um, amazing suction power, and they can suck, you know, mollusks out their shells, and they can suck flesh off the bone with seals and things, yeah. Jesus, because he, um, he said one grabbed him, and he ended up punching this walrus in the face... Because it tried to get him, or it tried, it held him anyway. Whether it was going to eat him, I don't know. And then it sort of shook itself off and buggered off. But um, oh, oh. That, that I would was... hope that my, my my underwater moves would have maybe uh, calmed the walrus rather than made it want to eat me. But yeah, <laughs> it has certainly been an interesting spot. You never know. You never know what you're going to see in the farms. Well, it was a different because I think that walrus wasn't the same one as as the the famous one that was around all year. It was a different one, wasn't it? Yeah, that there was a famous one called that they that they called Wally that had gone That's it. Um, down and around and ended up in the Sillies sinking some boats because it was so heavy. And yeah. then there was another one that they thought this was probably called Freya, um, uh. that had that was a female um, and it had a slight slight wound to its front flipper. So I think they were relatively sure with its identification. Okay, uh, a younger female. Um, but hopefully, it's headed up north again. Yeah, fingers fingers crossed. I mean, in, in some ways, yeah, it's an amazing sight to see, but slightly worrying as well. You have to think, why why walrus is turning up now? And, you know, we yeah, can make you all do kinds have to think that. Yeah, why, why are walruses here? Yeah. You know, links with climate change. I said that a couple of years ago, we had a, um, two beluga whales off Walkworth off Beach near where I work in Humble. Really? And two, two beluga whales, yeah, filmed just, just heading up the coast. So you never know really what's out there. We've... We've seen sunfish. Um, oh, wow, there's, yeah. you know, uh, William Shiel, who who I always dive with. It, uh, they had a humpback whale. Yeah. Um, you know, Keep you just guessing. never know what's going to be up there. So that's well, half the that's half the joy. Well, exactly, and it's important to say that you're not just the seal man, and you do work with other species. And one of yeah. those, of course, is is white beak dolphins. 
So I thought yeah. before we go, I'll quickly mention those and why the Northumberland population is so significant. Yeah, I mean, Whitebeat Dolphin, it's been a bit disappointing really over the last few years because I, I work under licence from the Marine Management Organisation and I, I, as, a, as a visiting researcher at Newcastle University, that you know, I study them. Um, and, uh, you know, we just haven't been able to do any work really over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. Um, you know, but I think for the public, it's it's quite interesting to think that the most abundant dolphin in the North Sea is actually white-beaked dolphin. The most abundant cetacean is porpoise. Yeah. The most abundant dolphin is is white-beaked dolphin. Yet most people never even heard of them. No. Because they're offshore species, really. Uh, interestingly, there's some papers that would indicate a temperature partitioning between white-beaked dolphin and common dolphin. So where the water's you know regularly colder than 13 degrees, you tend to see white beaks. Where it's warmer than 13 degrees, you tend to see common um, because they eat the same stuff. So they have this sort of this sort of unofficial temperature partitioning. Colder, there's white beaks, you know, warmer. And it, it, it before we came to a close because the pandemic, you know, we were starting to see an increasing number of common dolphin um, in that area, which we'd never seen before. You know, having done it for you know a long time, ten, you know, eight, nine years, the dolphins. We, we, we started to see common dolphin and we do wonder if that was a bad sign really in terms of an indica indicator of slight warming with the, with the um, sort of boundary of the common dolphin coming further north and maybe pushing the white beaks a little bit further north as well. Because white beaks are bigger, aren't they? Are they quite a large dolphin? They are, yeah. They grow up to about 350 kilograms, um, you know, three metres long. You know, they are a really big, robust, um, you know, subarctic temperate water dolphin um you know the most amazing dolphin i've ever been in the water with too and i've been in a lot of water with a lot of dolphin species including orca i mean orca probably just nearly tip it but the um you know that but they do they there's a possibility that the common are heading further north i've just never seen it before we actually saw them feeding together at one point which oh. is really unusual but um, yeah, we'll just have, hopefully we'll get out again next year and just start to see what's going on out there in the farm deeps. Because you see them, you see common dolphins around the West Coast, but maybe that's the Gulf Stream warming the water. The North yeah, Sea the Gulf Stream warming the water. So right. tend, with common dolphin, you tend to see them in numbers around the South Coast, Cornwall, Devon, up yeah. the West Coast where the Gulf Stream is. But you don't tend to get them, um, you know, coming up the East Coast like that, into the North Sea in those numbers. Okay. Um, okay. You know, so we'll just see how that that unfolds. Yeah. Yeah, it's all interesting stuff. Well, look, Ben, I appreciate you coming on and, and having a chat. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you, Jack. <laughs> Take care, mate. All the best, mate. That was Ben Burville, absolutely full of facts about grey seals. That was incredible. The whiskers, I did not know anything about that. No idea how sensitive a grey seal's whiskers were. Now, this is normally the bit where I plug the social media for the podcast, although I expect you're probably already following it if you're this deep into this podcast hole. But if you're not following myself, my own personal social media is Chat Perks Photo over at Twitter, Chat Perks Wildlife Media on Facebook, Fish Twitcher on Instagram, and on YouTube, it's Jack Perks Wildlife Media. And once I have my kind of break from the podcast, I'm going to be doing more stuff on YouTube. So it's well worth subscribing to that. And you'll see some kind of new visual content on the YouTube channel. Now, next week, I've got wildlife and fish artist David Miller, another good friend of mine. We're both fish botherers. We've worked together over the years many times. 
His artwork is absolutely incredible. So we talk a little bit about what got him into painting. Is painting fish difficult? And some of the other wildlife art that he's done. It's going to be a great conversation. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.